Welcome to Analytics for Society, the podcast where we discuss how data can be used to help benefit the greater good of society with some leading experts in this field. I'm your host, Jon Seglem, Managing Director in SAS Institute. Today we'll be discussing how AI can help detect and prevent fraud within the public sector, and also how data and technology can help bridge the gap between governments and us citizens through improved services. This is a highly debated topic, as private-public collaboration to overcome global challenges was a key focus at this year's World Economic Forum in Davos, where governments were labeled the dinosaurs of the digital age, slow, lumbering and outdated. Our special guests today are Catherine Lingsta, head of Norwegian Labor and Welfare Administration's AI Lab, and Christopher Brox, business expert in government fraud in SAS Institute. Thank you for joining us, guys. Thank you for being invited. Thank you so much. So let's jump straight in here. Katrina and Christopher, can you elaborate a bit on your roles and how you're fighting fraud within the public sector? Yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, I work at the Norwegian Labour and Welfare Administration. I have the privilege of heading the AI lab, as I said, consisting of uh, seven data scientists, a couple of data engineers. And the AI lab is kind of the spearhead of AI at NAV. So we're exploring various uh, possibilities with the use of AI and data, new technology and also helping other teams on actually using this. So one initiative that we're working on right now is actually that uh, in collaboration with the team or the unit that's responsible for uh, detecting and preventing both fraud and other incorrect payments um, on how to actually incorporate more data algorithm-based tools to detect and prevent fraud within the new solutions that we build that are digitalized. Mm-hmm. How about you, Christopher? Yeah, so my name is Christopher Broxe. I'm the, um, I'm working in the European team that SAS has that are are helping uh, government agencies uh, prevent fraud, basically. So just you know, we didn't speak so much about your background, Katrina, but you have a, a very long and successful, I must say, background in in the use of analytics in society. And uh, do you recognize the gap I spoke about in the World Economic Forum report between the growth in individuals' use of technology and governments how they engage in the digital economy? Uh, I do, but only to a certain extent. First of all, I don't recognize NAV as a dinosaur. <laughs> Public sector is facing up. And so we're now attracting top talent. We're modernizing both technology, our processes, organizations and cultures. A lot is happening. Um, from a user perspective, I can totally see your point. And as a citizen, you probably see there's a gap between the services, the, at least the digital services that you get from private uh, service providers and from the public sectors. But there's also different reasons for that. I mean, one thing you can think of is that in the private sector, though, the laggards, the digital laggards, they are um, probably, some go bankrupt and kind of they're losing client attraction. So that as a citizen, you choose from kind of the top shelf and you see the best from everybody. Meaning that you'll probably see, yeah, private sector as a whole is very offensive. Uh, while with the public sector, of course, we have a lot of responsibilities, a lot of services. We're modernizing one and one at a time. We can't do them all at a time. It's a total different uh, ball game to modernize what you already have versus building everything from scratch, as a lot of uh, new startups and private companies do. Mm. I think that's a very valuable perspective as well, based on your the work you're doing today. And I think we do a lot of really, really interesting work in this aspect. What do you see from a Nordic or European perspective, uh, Christopher? Do you see any, you know, truth in the statement from the World Economic Report? 
Yeah, well, actually, I think that there are some regional differences for sure. But if we talk about the area that I think are the the most Chinese star, which I would say is Scandinavia and the northern parts of Europe and even the Baltic states, actually, I think they're also far away from dinosaurs, to be honest. In reality, I think that a lot of these government agencies are really starting to take the fraud problem seriously and are very good, actually. If you look on, you know, the Norwegian welfare state and the Nordic welfare state, you talked about that, you know, like we have a we have a trust-based society. And, you know, in a trust-based society, you know, when, when you guys in, in now are working with whatever kind of payments we, we make for citizens, are you concerned with fraud? Like, are people thinking about that when they're handling cases, either manually or via technology? For sure. At least we know that the amount of fraud is high. I think for most of our case handlers, that probably what's most important to them is actually serving the client, the citizen. So that uh, it's important that we actually provide them with the decision support, with the red flags um, that they need in order to actually detect and prevent what's there. And I also believe that we shouldn't put in all controls that we could. We have to kind of trust the citizen to a certain extent. Uh, as well. So the case handlers today, they use both like their personal experience, they use these uh, guidelines on what to look for and uh, we're also, as I mentioned now, building more and more automatic kind of detection or risk evaluations into the systems, uh, at least when we automate the solutions. Because when when we no longer have the case handlers there to actually see the anomalies and see that there's some kind of uh, risky stuff there, it's even more important that uh, at least the most important, most risky cases are detected in the automatic uh, loop as well. So, Catherine, you talk about automation and you earlier spoke also about no human in the loop you know, like, and then being able to focus on, you know, the important cases and not all cases. And I think also, you know, when you look into analytics and AI, it's obvious that we can have, you know, a big impact on society using it in smarter ways. Why are we not, you know, seeing more uptake in the use of analytics and AI across Europe and across the Nordics? Or or are we seeing it? We're just not spotting it, Christopher. Well, as I mentioned before, I think that the usage of AI, of predictive models, of uh, these new techniques are uh, coming into place. But it varies uh, depending on uh, which agency it is uh, and so forth. But I see that uh, everything from helping the citizens to do smarter choices to do easier choices. Let's take an example of your tax return in Estonia and in, in Sweden and Norway and so forth. This information is is gathered from various registers and is pre-filled for you. And that, of course, means that the chances of you doing an error by mistake is much lower. It also means that it's much faster for you to basically okay this. Compared to, uh, to to other countries like the USA, where the average time is uh, something like 13 hours to fill in a form. In, in, in the Nordic uh, states, if you want to, you can just press OK to an SMS and you're done with it. And uh, when applying, for example, for benefits to stay home with your, uh, with your children in the Nordic states as well, you can, you can easily do that on an app. And it's not just applying for it. So, for example, in Sweden, we have uh, automatic uh, AI models actually checking this, you know, if this makes sense and so forth. So I think we are starting to see an adoption and it's going the right way. I think an interesting perspective, you both point that, you know, and you, Katrina, in the beginning as well. We have this tendency or bias towards, you know, thinking of the governments potentially as laggards. But you're both stating that might not be the case. So if we would rather put the focus on how do we use analytics more then in government agencies? How can we get more value out of artificial intelligence? What's your perspective on that, Katrina? First of all, 
when it comes to if we're leggers or not. In a way, I believe that we maybe should not be in the front. We should experiment where it's legal, of course, in order to be up to date. But maybe it's not up to the public uh, sector to be the first to apply all the tools into the processes because there are a lot of unforeseen consequences and I think we only started the discussions on the consequences of use of both AI and more expert rule-based uh, data driven um, decisions and uh, technology so I think we need to have those discussions and therefore I think it's important that we don't rush so we want to move forward. Uh, we want to make uh, use of the AI, but we want to use it in a responsible way. And another issue there is uh, actually also the, the regulations, because uh, there's a lot of legal work that has to be done, both uh, with regards to uh, interpreting the legal ground there is today, and also on developing the regulations, because a lot of the stuff that we want to do that we think is beneficial, we're actually not allowed to do it today. Because all our regulations were written for another era where we didn't have all the possibilities that we do today. So that's something that we really need to work on. Cross-functional, working uh, legal expertise together with business expertise, technology expertise in order to figure out what we want to do, how we're going to do it, how the regulations should be in order to be allowed to do that. Yeah. So just to add to that, I mean, it's it's very different if you if you're a retailer and you want to just find out what is the most probable good that this person will buy. Uh, you can basically take whatever information you have and and, and calculate uh, some kind of probability around that. Now, for government agencies, it's very important to have a, an explainable model that is not biased towards anything. For example, as a citizen, you're also under some some, some circumstances allowed to get back from the agency the reason for not getting a grant, for example, not getting a benefit. Uh, and the answer to that cannot be, well, the computer said so. The answer needs to be, well, we turned this down for you because of, you know, X, Y, and Z. So it cannot be too much of a black box approach as well. And I think that's uh, imp important to understand as well. However, uh, something I'd like to add is that some people uh, have the idea that, you know, as long as human beings are doing the decisions, it's fine. And if a computer is doing it, it's uh, not that fine. So we could see that the chances of getting a rejection was much higher in the city of uh, Gothenburg, for example, than in Stockholm. And that was human beings making these decisions. So human beings is not by any means perfect either. So that's a very good case for AI, not to make the decision, but to actually come up with a suggestion to say to the case handler, you know, you should look for this. You should maybe take this into account. And according to what I say, you know, at least this should be granted or not granted. And then, of course, in the end, it's up to the case handler herself or himself. But the good thing about an AI or an analytical model is that it's not, let's say, biased to which city it's uh, the servers and you know, something like that. So... I think the combination of caseworker and AI should be uh, in the future very important. I started this question about asking also what's holding us back. When we talked about the restrictions, legal restrictions, we talk about technology. Could you also share a bit on how you work on culture, you know, and ethics and so forth, you know, leading the AI lab in, in NAV, Katharina, you know, yeah. a bit based on what uh, Christopher is pointing to as potential issues. Yeah. We do various stuff. Uh, but first of all, in the AI lab, in addition to promoting the new technology, we're also actually <laughs> amongst those who lead discussions on ethics at NAV. We had the 
podcast a couple of uh, weeks ago, discussions between developers and data scientists and others on what are the ethical issues that we need to discuss and um, the risks. And we're working closely with the legal department in order to elaborate and discuss on what are the topics. So we actually, we don't have any ethical principles that are very useful for data scientists or developers today but we are discussing now we have a proposal and discussing on uh, what they should look like so we are um, trying to also increase the the knowledge of the whole organization among the developers among other employees on the ethical questions and topics just bring it a bit back to, you know, examples as well beyond now of uh, what kind of value could, you know, digitization of government services have for us citizens, uh, Christopher? Do you have any good examples, you know, based on your experience in this area? Yeah, so let me take one example, uh, which uh, not necessarily has to do with the benefits, but uh, let's take tax, for example. So we have been working with the Belgium tax office and uh, Belgium as many other countries in Europe, well, all of them basically, have issues with the VAT fraud. And the, the VAT fraud is huge in terms of uh, euros, billions of euros. So they decided to really to try to fight this. And um, together with SAS, in this case, they implemented a solution to fight VAT fraud. So after implementing this solution, the number of fraud cases actually fell by 98%. So from being a huge problem, when they rechecked this after the solution was implemented, they actually could see that, okay, VAT fraud is not a problem basically anymore in Belgium. So I think that's a fantastic result. So the question is, of course, now how did they come about to get that result? So the answer is not only AI. I mean, it has to do with the ingestion of different data sources. It has to do with the you know, common business rules. But the thing that were very important to them were the, uh, the entity resolution and the, and the different uh, networks that they could see. Because obviously the scammers or the fraudsters uh, in terms of VAT fraud, they, uh, they hide behind uh, companies. They, they, they don't use their real names. They use uh, different partners and so forth. They set up companies in different countries and they try to make this very complicated. And it is complicated to find this out. So by business rules and so forth, it wouldn't work. But by using social network analysis, you're able to find actually the true conspiracies behind these kind of networks and see how they are linked together. So I think that's a, that's a great case to show that you can actually almost take away a whole problem like that. So we live in uncertain times, you know, and cyber threats are increasingly becoming more complex through digital technology. And I know in Norway alone, there are several attacks every hour and governments have a responsibility to safeguard us citizens from a whole range of threats, you know, from ransomware to malware to data breaches, but also to avoid these fraud and improper payments. Christopher, how exactly can AI help governments detect and prevent fraud to safeguard our citizens? Let's take image recognition. So uh, also we have government agencies uh, that are working with SAS in, in Scandinavia that, uh, that have been starting to do work with image recognition. Uh, so what they're doing is that they are actually analyzing signatures on time sheets to try to figure out, you know, is this signature actually true or is it someone who has been trying to falsify this? And another example, which I find very interesting is uh, in terms of new techniques like that, is uh, overfishing. The fishing problem in Europe is actually a huge problem. It, it kills or it can be very dangerous to the biodiversity of the oceans. And the way that it works now is that 
the European Union is handling out fishing quotas to the, to various countries and say that you can fish this much of each uh, you know kind, this much for cod and this much for salmon and so forth. And then it's up to the countries to distribute these quotas on different companies. And they don't want a situation that one company has everything or something like that. So they have a maximum percentage of how much one company can fish of a certain quota. So the thing there is that you have these companies once again setting up these kind of company structures that, uh, you know, they own boats together with their wives and friends and so forth. And they have these uh, companies that are, that are not legit, basically. And each of them, these companies then can apply for, for these quotas. And what you, what you will end up with is one person basically masterminding this, having a huge share of the total quotas. And uh, once again, by, by using technology like social network analysis, combining that with GPS data in real time, where the localization of the ships and so forth, you'll end up with a, with a powerful solution that can, uh, that can stop this. So there's very broad areas where these, these techniques can be used. Everything from, you know, <laughs> fishing issues to, to, to VAT fraud, for example. That's good examples. We also touched earlier at the Norwegian Labor and Welfare Administration, you're concerned, you're respecting in the, the area of fraud. How do you exactly work with that area on your end, Katrina? As I mentioned, uh, of course, the case handlers uh, are handling it in their day-to-day uh, work and handling the cases. We also have a separate unit at NAV, NAV Control. They have a specific mandate on working on kind of control issues on preventing, detect- detecting fraud. So they are um, analyzing suspicious behavior. They are um, investigating the cases based on either data-driven input or tips that could be from anyone. All citizens can actually give a tip if there's somebody that they believe that makes some fraudulent applications. And actually, uh, participants from NAV and NAV Control are also uh, collaborating with Skattetaten and others on this cross-sectorial collaboration on work-related crime, as uh, Christopher mentioned, those who are setting up firms and actually f- um, being fraudulent on not only uh, NAS benefits, but on tax and uh, on kind of other kinds of crime. So I think that collaboration is also very yeah. important. Yeah. Agreed. Most of those collaborations across the different public sector, we talked earlier about private-public collaboration, but there's also public-public collaboration. Is that manual today or is is that also digitalized? To be honest, I don't have insight into how they are working in that specific collaboration. I believe that it could definitely be more digital because they have the same issues that everybody has when they start collaborating across companies, organizations, that they don't have the same infrastructure, they don't have the interoperability, sharing data. It's both a legal issue and technological issue. So um, a lot of stuff that must be in place in order to being more digital in that work. That collaboration is also a good example of, you know, adding more data sources, you know, to make better decision. And I know you also work a lot with algorithms in that sense. So how accurate are the algorithms we use today to detect or prevent fraud? And how can we avoid unintended bias in those? Yeah. When it comes to accuracy, from now, now I don't have any specific numbers, then that's also, uh, it's also always difficult to tell at least what we call the false negatives. Those fraud cases that we don't catch, it's very difficult. So even if we have control groups, the rate of uh, fraud cases are so low that you have to control a lot of them in order to, to get the false negatives. So that's difficult to, uh, to say. I know uh, also that for Lohne Kosten uh, at Norway, they also have been famous for their kind of 
algorithms and machine learning driven algorithms to detect high risk cases for those who apply for benefits for uh, living outside their home. So I don't uh, remember the exact figures, but I think they halved the costs of doing that control and still maintaining the same number of fraud cases that were detected. So the business cases for this are very, very high. And uh, when it comes to bias, been discussing this earlier as well. What we see is that humans uh, are biased, algorithms are biased. What we can do is that we can measure it so we can discuss what do we mean uh, by bias, what is fair. So I think that's uh, also something that we will see and hear more and more about, at least when public sector start using this. The private sector already has it, it's just that we don't talk about it. I mean, if you live in a certain municipality, do we believe it's fine, it's fair that a person who lives there is maybe has like five times as a high risk or something of being picked up for control by both his insurance company provider uh, from Skattetaten, from Lånekassen, from NAV. I mean, do we believe that's fair? Uh, we need to have those discussions as well, I believe. So last week I read this report from McKinsey and Company, you know, about claiming when governments turn to AI, they can more easily identify tax evasion patterns, detect and prevent fraud and so forth. Katrina. Norwegian Labour and Welfare has introduced digital services, both pension approval, sick leave, maternity and paternity forms. What more is on the digital AI and innovation agenda? And what impact do you see this having for us citizens? We have digitized in the way that we have uh, replaced paper with digital forms. We are doing that on more and more uh, benefits. But we're also now trying to be more relevant and personalized in a service that we provide to the citizens. That's uh, also a place where AI and data and algorithms will be very useful. So we are working on trying to understand better our uh, citizens, uh, their needs and uh, what services they will actually need from us. So I hope that the citizens will see in the future that they get more relevant uh, and useful information and advice from NAV and other public service providers. Christopher. You recently shared a report published in Sweden that calculated that billions of incorrect payments are made with the Swedish welfare system every year. I've also read analyst estimates that 70-15% of all government program expenditures are lost due to fraud, waste and abuse. Do the same numbers apply in Norway, Katri? And why are they so high? Do we, you know? Does it have to do with the processes or is it more to do with data or systems? First of all, I must say that uh, it's a... Uh it's very good that the government uh, ordered this committee to to investigate this. So they've been working for, I think, a year and a half just investigating the errors in in the different payment system that the government have. So, I mean, they've, they've done a really thorough job and uh, it's, it's really good that now we have numbers. But, I mean, if we just look at the, the Swedish Social Insurance Agency and one of the benefits that they have for staying home with your child, they say that the fraud there amounts to one billion crones. A year, which is 15%. And this is a number that I see in other countries as well. So it, it makes sense. Now, that is a huge number, right? You can always speculate for the reasons for that, because, and I think it has to do with it, the fact that it's uh, it's something that's very easy to, to, to be fraudulent in. You basically say that you're home with your child and then you go to work anyway and you get double salaries that day. But it would be <laughs> very much higher in case if, if we didn't have checks on it, of course. And if we look at other benefits like uh, like student loans and uh, migration uh, benefits that you can have or different unemployment benefits, 
in all of these benefits, the, the results approximately some, somewhere between 2 and 15% in, in fraud. So uh, Actually, now also have ordered a couple of reports uh, on the numbers of incorrect payments. Like, for instance, last year, Oslo Economics delivered a report. Best case for sick pay was that uh, yearly increment incorrect payments was in the amount of like 300 million Norwegian kroner, maybe up to 550 million Norwegian kroner. And we know that it's, some some of it is because of kind of this fraudulent behavior. Others is actually because of failures in the system, like uh, bad data quality and so on. So I think that now that we are automating the solutions and when we can share data, like for instance with income statement uh, that now more and more public organizations are using, it's more difficult to actually um, succeed with fraud, but also make sure that you have more correct data and uh, hence you can reduce the incorrect payments by detecting it and um, that the data is correct in the first place. And I think you point to an interesting area as well, because it's not necessarily that you want to commit fraud. It might be there. there is some issues with data quality or, you know, the system. And we have a big high degree of trust in NOAA and the Nordics. We talked about that before. So how do you see us, you know, building on the trust agenda in NOAA? How, how are you guys working on trust? <laughs> I can mention an example from maybe from uh, another company that I know by Scott Tatten. Because fraud, uh, I've heard that uh, there are three kind of factors. You need to have the incentive. You need to have the possibility and a sense of um, that it's legitimate to do it. And Skattetaten actually worked on the third uh, issue by nudging. So by changing the phrasing uh, when you're submitting your form, uh, they are now being told something like that. Do you know that like uh, 90% of people in your area are now registering that they have income in another country and so on uh, in order to kind of maybe (laughs) make sure that they feel it's not that legitimate to uh, give the incorrect information. So uh, that's actually another way of kind of building, I don't know if it's building trust, but at least building this desire to contribute mm-hmm. to to the system and to the society. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, th- that goes down to the fact that uh, if people, I mean, if we want to have this trust society that we have with people uh, actually paying high taxes, and we want to continue that, the citizens need to know that the money that are spent government is actually going to what it's supposed to be going to. So, so it's very important that, first of all, that people know that... Yes, we have checks in place. Yes, we are using top-notch technology, AI, to fight this fraud. That sends a message, you know, that both to the fraudsters that maybe I shouldn't do this, but also to the rest of the public that, okay, I pay high taxes, but it goes to the right place. And I know that the people in charge of, of handling this is actually keeping tracks of this. Christopher, what are your top three tips for less mature organizations that would like to provide better, safer and more digitized services to their customers or citizens? Yeah, so actually my first advice would be to start with a limited area of business. So if you are in a government agency, I mean, you have many, many different departments, you have many different uh, insurances and, and grants and benefits and so forth. So I think that a smart way would be to choose just to start with one the, the low-hanging fruit, so to speak, something you know that you have a fraud uh, issue with, start with that one. So start with only one and, and uh, go from there. So that would be my, my first recommendation. The other one is, and this might be the most important actually, is always keep production in mind. 
I see in a lot of different uh, agencies that I work with that there are so many smart people, especially in the last uh, 10 years, the higher people with a lot of data science skills and so forth. And uh, they do really good work. But the results that they tend to produce are experimental, uh, proof of concept-ish and uh, so forth. And it doesn't really help the business, the government uh, in the end. And the reason is that a lot of these uh, initiatives and models, they are really hard to put into production. So keep that in mind, you know, how how can I get something that is easily put into production so it can give value? So it does just belong in a room somewhere. And the third one is, you know, try to keep the the model or some whatever you call it as explainable as possible. So you need that afterwards for auditing reasons and so forth. So try to be not be as much of a black box approach. So that would be my create models that are explainable that can be easily put into production and start in with a limited area. Great. And Katrina, what are, what are your three future hopes for NAV, Digital Norway, you know, our digital society and government? You know, broad question. <laughs> yeah. First of all, I hope we'll kind of manage to see the possibilities and uh, use AI and data to create uh, better services and to have a sustainable welfare society. Secondly, I hope that we use AI and other digital solutions in an ethical and responsible manner. It's very important. And thirdly, that both politicians, that software providers, tech people understand that it's not only about technology. A lot of more things must be handled and fixed and discussed in order to reach number one and two. So I hope that we can work cross-functional, cross-sectoral to have the discussions and kind of remove the barriers one by one. I think both shared a lot of great examples of the effect we could have from that cross-private public and public-public collaboration today. So to finish with one final question, where do you go for inspiration? What are your inspiration sources and where could people go to follow you? Katrina, let's start with you. Yeah, I listen a lot to podcasts, actually, so I have many. Uh, I think you find many interesting podcasts on AI and also uh, technology in public sector from LearnTech. Another podcast recommended is Recode Decode by Kara Swisher. Um, many good episodes on the potential impacts, both uh, benefits and the unforeseen negative impacts of AI. And you can, of course, follow NAV on LinkedIn to see what, what we're doing. Yeah, so uh, my inspiration comes mainly from uh, customer visits. Uh, so I learn most by just spending time with customers. So I didn't know anything about phishing fraud <laughs> until a couple of months ago, but I do now. So this is where I get my main inspiration. And then I, I follow uh, news like everyone else and so forth. And uh, if people want to get in touch with me, I'm on LinkedIn. So just search for Christopher Broxe. And of course, SAS is on Twitter and everything like that. Thank you so much for joining us today, Katharina and Christopher. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Analytics for Society podcast. Today we have been discussing how digitalization and analytics can help detect and fight fraud. We have also discussed areas where smarter use of insights, the right of data, can help the government create better services to us, the citizens. Tune in to our other episodes to learn more about how AI can help your business with social innovation and at the same time benefit the greater good of society. 